Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Matthew J. Smith joins us today. He is a former professor at Azusa Pacific University and an accomplished scholar whose writings include Performance and Religion in Early Modern England, Stage, Cathedral, Wagon, Street, Face-to-Face in Shakespearean Drama, Ethics, Performance, Philosophy, and also Literature and Religious Experience Beyond Belief and Unbelief. Now, he is also the president of Hildegard College in California. That institution and higher education in general and certain interesting experiments going on in that, in that world, that's our topic today. Welcome, President Smith. Thanks, Mark, for having me. Now, I presume, President Smith that you were secure and comfortable at Azusa Pacific. You were a productive scholar with long summers to read and write. You had, Azusa Pacific probably has a pretty good faculty-student ratio. You didn't have too many papers to grade all the time. Life was good. You could cruise for for the rest of your academic career. (laughs) You could have a very calm, quiet life what in the world led you to walk away and begin the arduous labor of starting a new institution? Yeah, you know, I'd like to say that it was a, uh, a, a process of discernment and long reflection, um, but it wasn't. It, it, it was a decision born out of an urgent need to do something better for uh, our young people today. And this included, as my own children were nearing college age, thinking about them. And, you know, really it came down to a, um, a moment or series of moments in my time at a conventional university when I began to ask, can I with confidence answer the question to parents or to students, what will I or what will my child learn at this institution? Or what kind of person will they become? For instance, not an irrelevant question, will they become happier by coming, by attending this school and learning there? And the answer is certainly not no, but the answer is almost universally, it depends. It depends on what you study. It depends on who you study with, who you hang out with. Um, And most importantly, it depends on the kind of student, the kind of undergraduate, the kind of person that you are what you do while you're at school. And I thought that's not good enough. That's not good enough, not only uh, on its own merits or lack thereof, but that's not good enough uh, given the price of college these days and the college debt crisis and the unemployment crisis and the mental health crisis 
Uh, we need we need to do better, and it didn't seem to me to be too difficult to do something better, given that there were already institutions at the vanguard at the vanguard of change for undergraduate education in this country. You know, in in February 2022, you stated in an article that Christian universities in the United States are, in fact, often on the wrong path. They put all these energies into, as you put it, the margins. That's your word. And they neglect the center, the foundation. What, what, uh, you don't have to name any colleges if you don't want, but mm-hmm. typically what do, you, what do you see there on this wrong track? Give, give us some specifics. Yeah, so my, you know, I taught at a major Christian university and um, for especially uh, people who want to attend a university that has a foundation, I mean, that actually states what it believes, what is the, where is the place from which you are seeking Christian universities uh, tend to be especially popular, and I, I think these play a really critical role and will play an increasingly critical role in higher education in America going forward. However, in the article that you're, that you're referencing, um, and speaking honestly, uh, these, these universities have, uh, although kept the name Christian and often um, kept some, some, some window dressings of of, of what that Christian liberal arts tradition gives them, uh, they nonetheless have largely abandoned what makes education, uh, in, in their case, Christian, I would also say um, oriented towards virtue and the right ordering of our loves in general. Uh, and this had to do with um, a, a growth strategy that most of these schools began in you know, the late 2000s uh, and invested in growing. Let's create more diverse programs. Let's create professional programs. Let's in, let's uh, invest in graduate programs that make us money. Um, and in the end, let's cannibalize our general education, which is the uh, lame term that we use these days for what used to be called liberal education, uh, an interdisciplinary study of the liberal arts that is the foundation of all knowledge and, and personal formation. Um, cannibalize those for the sake of resource in these other areas of change. And then before long, universities, including Christian universities, but all of them, uh, got to a place where questions like, what are we going to teach? And what do we think students should learn? Um, How do we think they should learn? These became secondary to institutions that operate primarily, unfortunately, primarily as sales departments, as entertainment organizations, as puppets for state uh, strictures, as kind of um, research institutions, ideological factories, really everything except uh, institutions devoted to investing in students and their learning in the classroom and outside of it. Uh, that's, that's what I mean when I say they've lost their way. Christian institutions, I think, are not any more to blame than other universities um, but in a way, their their departure from, um, I think, the path of true learning is, is a little bit easier to see because they've left a place uh, that, that they previously were. Is, is this because they listen to advisors and consultants and maybe even have leaders who simply don't really care all that much about 
the foundations. I mean, not not that they not that they deny the foundations, but they just don't really feel a strong conviction about them. Yeah, um, that's a compli- it's a complicated question, in part um, because I don't think that the leaders of institutions of big institutions have all that much freedom. So on the one hand, I would say these organizations. Um, have the you know the feeling of a kind of space odyssey where the uh, the technology of the institution itself I don't mean digital tech but the the very uh, organizational the life of the organization itself has taken over so I, I for instance remember being part at one institution I used to teach at of conversations about um, it, injecting the general education with um, with something that mattered with a few courses, all students would take just a, a small handful that uh, would ask students to read great books, works that have influenced civilizations, um, and everybody loved it. Faculty were behind it. We were we were championing it. We were pushing it through the right processes. And then we got to a point talking with an administration uh, in which we were simply told, well, this sounds great, but we can't do it. We can't do it because of reasons X, Y, and Z, reasons that had absolutely nothing to do with the education and what they want for students. So it wasn't for lack of conviction, really. Now, at the same time, at the same time, though, uh, there are lots of other factors. Um, higher education, for instance, as a professional academic discipline is, um, is relatively new. And people with degrees in higher education tend to, re- to, to, to lead our schools, I think. Um, there's, there's things to be said about that field and how it affects our institutions. And then lastly, just academics, especially in the humanities, where you and I both come from, in order to become a professional academic, you're not trained in teaching, and you're not trained in a philosophy of learning. Uh, you're not even trained in um, um, what it means to, to run an institution. You're trained in how to be a professional researcher in that these days in that field. And there is absolutely no correlation between that professional academic training. I can write articles, I can write books, I can cite the right sources, and teaching students well or leading an institution well. So I want to be clear that at, in the institutions I've taught at, they are full of fantastic faculty, and students occasionally have transformative experiences. But holistically, these institutions are lost. Are a lot of Christian colleges as politically correct or moving in a secular progressivist direction, sometimes almost as vigorously as public universities are? Yeah, good question. I, you know, I can't really speak for all of them. I will say that um, there is a feeling of, uh, there's, there's, there's tension at these schools. Often you have the board of, a, of an old Christian university that doesn't want to um, compromise the values and, and activities of the school just because of the currents of the, of, of the time. But then you have faculty, again, who were trained in departments in which you had to play a game in order to get the PhD, to get the credential, to get the job. You have to play a game, and often that includes ideological games. And those are the, those are the faculty going into the classrooms. And so you have this tension within these universities. Um, and yes, I think that, um, I mean, you, could, you can look back at the last you know, a couple decades of kind of organizational ideological trends from the craze over microaggressions to anti-racism or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I've seen all of these 
sweep through universities, including Christian universities. I don't know that I would say that they are um, in a way more um, more taken by these trends than a secular or, or non-religiously affiliated university would be. It seems like they shouldn't if a school is clear about what its foundation is. Um, but it, maybe it tells us something about the stability of those foundations that um, faculty are leaving Christian universities in droves uh, for these specific reasons. I get emailed almost weekly from uh, people teaching at other schools or who have recently left other universities who are saying, hey, is Hildegard College hiring? Are you guys hiring? I want to be at a school that knows what it believes. Yeah. Before getting to Hildegard, last question, uh, broad question. You note that many college students lose their faith by the time they graduate. Why does this happen? What are the reasons? Plethora of reasons. Um, Sometimes it's very direct. You know, they get a professor who says, let's deconstruct your faith. Let's talk about how your faith is really a compilation of social and material and economic conditions. And it has been, it has, has grown in you on the backs of people that your society has oppressed or something like that. So sometimes it's really direct. Sometimes I think it's um, a lot less direct and, and yet really powerfully executed almost accidentally. And I would specifically mention as a force that um, compromises young people's faith in college, the lack of integration among the disciplines. So schools now are in the business of funneling students as quickly as possible into a major, particularly a professional major, you know, psychology, education, kinesiology, whatever it might be, and, uh, and doing so in a way that champions, let's get these students a path to a job as soon as possible, of course, because you need to pay off the debt. But, uh, but, but, but slides right over the most foundational part which, part, which is an understanding of the order that connects all of these fields of knowledge. We tend to call them disciplines. I think that's a somewhat impoverished term for fields of knowledge or what might be considered arts in the past. Um, and so the, when, when, when these are integrated, when these different areas, call it economics and philosophy and natural science and mathematics and literature are integrated, that is studied together, students can see the order to them. And that order is essential for any intellectual person, any person who's presumably intellectual because they're educated, that order is essential to um, seeing a design, to understanding, I think, metaphysical topics like theology, for instance. Um, and without that order, you're going to have a, um, a more difficult time understanding nuanced topics and topics that require uh, careful and trained intellectual attention. And this is not just the opinion of Christian philosophers. This is the opinion of pagan philosophers like Aristotle, who also thought that uh, things of most import, moral goodness, for instance, or theology, uh, you know, study of the gods, these required careful training that today I would describe as interdisciplinarity, studying things together is important um, but really a kind of order to knowing, an order to learning. And schools have, this is, this is a bit in the weeds as an answer, but schools and universities have become the way they've become almost by historical accident. And what I'm referring to is you get to school, you're told by your college counselor you need to check these boxes of general education requirements. You have all these options, choose what interests you, choose whatever electives, and then get into your major and graduate as soon as possible. 
what is that doing to your mind? What does that say about the purpose of learning? What is that doing to your soul? What is that doing to your potential for happiness? And of course, faith, what is that doing to your faith? If you're someone of faith, I think is, is central to that. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Okay, to Hildegard College, how did the idea begin? Yeah, so the idea began, you know, in, in, in 2018 or so, um, as, as a group of, um, I'll call us academic, academic refugees, but also entrepreneurs, and that becomes important for our story, began to think about um, how, how we might do college better. What does it mean? I mean, you can look at, right now, universities are unaccountable. I mean, they're, the general public thinks that they're not worth it or maybe hardly worth it or maybe only worth it if you get into a top five school or something. Um, and that's because they're insulated from all of the things that hold them accountable to the market. They're insulated by the government. They're insulated by accrediting agencies. They're insulated by a kind of monopoly they have on the market, um, by the way that you can finance education. Um, and that's that, that, I think, is the root of the problem of the inefficiency and ineffectiveness of colleges. And so uh, as we're looking at these... Um, at these, these broken models for university education, we're seeing at the same time a movement within higher education of alternative models, some of them old, but many of them new. And these are new colleges, newish, you know, within the last 20, 30 years that have um, not necessarily thought this is a new model of college, but just have, th these are groups of people that originally began as a community of folks or people at a church or whatever it might be who said, we could do this better. Let's just start our own college. And at first, it was just sort of an experiment. But over time, I think to many people's surprise, flourished. These are now incredibly uh, you know, competitive schools to get into um, and offer a really good education. And some common factors that we saw across these places are they're purposely small. They're focused um, in their curriculum, often only having one major, not 75 majors, but a single major. What does that allow you to do? That allows you to keep costs down. That allows you to control uh, a curriculum such that um, instead of just giving it over to students in a kind of consumeristic way, saying, let's design something that we think is truly transformative. It's not for everybody, but it's for the students who choose us. Uh, and it's affordable and it's independent from the government. So we saw the success of these schools and we thought, uh, what if we built a classically minded college in Southern California? And I say classically minded, I mean devoted to the study of the traditional liberal arts, including the great texts in humanities and the sciences, uh, but then also leading students to an education and action, which we call entrepreneurship. What if we started this, would it work? Um, and as we began to talk with the community and um, connect with what we call our civic partners, organizations we partner with, we saw a huge demand. We saw people who said, yes, absolutely, this will work. Um, and not only will it work, it needs to work. We don't want to send our children to uh, whatever status quo university. And as, as we began to talk with 
you know, high schools and communities of students and homeschool groups and whatever it might be, we found that well-educated teenagers and their parents were taking a strange approach to college. It was almost defeatist, as if, well, we did some good work at the K through 12 level, but it's, there's really no point in trying to find a college or university that will give our child or give me, if you're a student, a true education, a good education. So let's just go a transactional route. Let's just send them to community college or let's just send them to the state school or to the school that they get, they get the most funding for, you know, the, the biggest scholarship package, um, and just think, well, hopefully, hopefully the foundation we laid in K through 12 will protect them from any of the damage that these universities might do. And um, that's what we saw. And I think higher education now is beginning, you know, certain sectors of it, including ours, the sort of uh, traditional liberal arts and Christian liberal arts programs are beginning to see, no, we need, we need to give these students an option, um, something that won't undo the good work that was done at K through 12. How, where, where do things stand now with Hildegard? Yeah, so we have just launched our, among other programs we've run, what's called the Hildegard Fellows Program. So this is the first phase in our launch of our undergraduate program, and this is a one-year program that will, uh, for students that wish and who complete it, um, convert into the first year of our undergraduate program that we're currently building. So students that finish this program will continue on if they want to as sophomores, or they can just stop after a year. Um, so this is a one-year program in the four key components of our curriculum in Southern California in person. This is in person. We're uh, in Costa Mesa, which is you know four miles from the Pacific Ocean in Orange County, California. Uh, students will study great works. So this is the greatest works of philosophy, economics, politics, theology, literature, mathematics, and so forth. You know the natural sciences from antiquity to the present. They'll study entrepreneurship, which for us is not as much a business education as it is an education in how to, um, how to do things by learning to build them. The best way to learn to do a thing well is to learn how it's made and to learn how to build it. And so this is really um, analogous to the way that we think of great texts. Why do we read original sources instead of textbooks? Because going to the foundations, seeing where they came from is a better way to learn it. So students learn great texts, they learn entrepreneurship, and then lastly, they undergo a curriculum in formation which is both character and spiritual formation, but also professional formation, understanding how to deal with challenges, how to move forward with and through challenges instead of you know, collapsing or falling into bad habits. I think something really, really important for young people today. And so the goals of this Hildegard Fellows program is to give students an intellectual foundation, but also to begin the process of helping them to discover what their path is going to be in college and after college. So students can earn college credit in this program through an accredited partner university if they wish, or they can just take this program as a kind of bridge year, what used to be called a gap year program, and then maybe continue on as sophomores at Hildegard College the following year. How, how strong is the Christian ident identity of the school? We hold our Christian identity to be uh, absolutely critical to who we are and why we exist. Um, if you compare us, however, to a, um, some other models of Christian university today, you might see some dissonance. And so, for instance, we don't have required chapels 
we don't ask, ask students to sign a statement of faith because we don't think that colleges really have much business writing their own statements of faith. Um, and yet our curriculum is um, from, from the beginning grounded in an understanding not only of a philosophy of learning, but a theology of learning. What does it mean for a human being to learn? What does it mean for them to be um, created in the image of God as a, a, a moral agent? How does our understanding of virtue, that is the particular ex excellence of a human being, change when we identify a creator and when we identify a need for salvation? So these are questions that run throughout our program. And curricularly, spiritual formation is integrated into the formation aspect of the curriculum. So I would argue that our school is, um, is Christian in a way that it may not be as familiar to kind of contemporary status quo conventional university standards, but would be very familiar to older models of education that are based in mentorship, based in community, and where the curriculum itself, what classes you take, is informed by a Christian faith tradition and a, tr a Christian tradition of the liberal arts. Well, what is the typical profile of the kid who comes to Hildegard? Yeah, so we... Even, at, a, this early, even at this early stage. Yeah, so the, the, the applicants that we have, the students who are beginning this fall, an application I should mention is open throughout the summer for the Hildegard's Fellow, Fellows Program. But the students who are coming are, um, are, are kind of first and foremost volitional. I mean, that's a weird word to use. But I mean, they specifically are interested in being part of something new, something rigorous and challenging, something iconoclastic, an institution that knows what it's about. And that's the, um, that's the most defining quality. They are excited. They're, they're students who are choosing to be part of something new and to help establish a new, a new college culture rather than go to something that you know, in, in which they're going to be an anonymous statistic among many. Uh, they're ambitious students, intellectually curious. They're students that have reasons for wanting to come to a Christian liberal arts college. Our application asks students to answer questions like, why do you think that faith has anything to do with learning and training the mind to think well? Um, and so we're asking students to answer these questions about why they want to be at a, a college specifically like Hildegard College um, and yet we're not asking students at the same time to, um, to demonstrate some of the same uh, measures of success that other schools look for. Our application is very qualitative. We want to hear about what a student's like. The first part of the application asks them to simply introduce themselves, and yeah. we allow them to upload attachments. We've had students upload uh, photographs of art installations they've done, essays on topics like um, ambition and excellence. We've had them upload reading lists from the past couple years. So really, really interesting ways we've gotten to know our applicants. Uh, in, in the accreditation process, what are the, any difficulties, any high hurdles there in California for a school like yours? Uh, y yes and no. So we are, uh, we are pursuing accreditation like any startup school would. And so we hope within a few years to have full accreditation. In the meantime, students can earn uh, college credit, course credit from an accredited university. Uh, so the courses are transferable in the meantime. But, um, you know, California is not the easiest place to start a school, especially, um, especially now 
in our current age, by which I mean, especially in the last five years, where the U.S. Department of Education and institutional accreditors used to be called regional accreditors, but accrediting agencies recognized by the U.S. Department of Education have become almost entirely concerned with, uh, with, with federal dollars. Accreditors are not mostly, at least as I'm speaking from my own, my own experience, are not mostly working to guarantee the quality of education of a university. They're mostly working to make sure that this is a university that checks the boxes required for students to apply federally subsidized loans. And this is a whole, mm-hmm. um, this is, I think, a whole kind of evil circle of, of largely unintended consequences uh, maybe some intended. Uh, and so for a school like us, we don't accept federal money. We don't want to. We want to be able to uh, to do what we want to do. We don't want to um, have to, you know, uh, bend over to certain um, initiatives depending on what the presidential administration might currently be into. Uh, so mm-hmm. a school like us, accreditation is um, is going surely to be a uh, a largely needlessly onerous process, but I think it's um, it's important for students who um, you know who are, who are transferring to graduate school and things like that. Similarly, with state licensing, this is a um, this is something that all startup schools are going to go through, and and I think schools are beginning to go through more because there are startup schools almost every year. There are new colleges and universities being founded um, and experiencing immense success where conventional schools. Are bleeding students, and I think rightly so. Yeah. Uh, the contact is hildegard.college on the internet, correct? Correct. That's our website. You can email us at info at hildegard.college. So that's our domain, hildegard.college. Um, click on request info if you go to the website, and you can sign up to for our email list to get updates on our launch. Many, many ways to get involved. If you're in Southern California or elsewhere, we have programs, great work seminars for, um, for non-traditional students, for professionals, retirees, educators, parents, whomever it might be. We right. have our Hildegard's Fellows program, tons of ways to get involved. So visit us at hildegard.college. Very good. Uh, we will look forward to seeing where you are uh, three years from now. President Smith, uh, meanwhile, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.